Recording now. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me, Kevin. Oh, thank you, Craig. Really excited to talk to you. Thank you. And so I guess before we really dive into it, would you be willing to kind of talk to our listeners and give a little quick rundown of your biography since I know you've been making movies since the the 90s? Yeah. It's funny. When you say the 90s, it sounds like the the, the 1910s or 1920s, you know? It yeah. sounds so far <laughs> off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and uh, I uh, I did some movies out there on VHS and Super 8, and uh, I, we, I did a one movie called The Real World, and I got a scholarship from uh, KCMC Channel 4, which is oh. uh, NBC, basically, in Denver, and um, I got that actually for three years in a row, which was fantastic, and I made a, that movie Real World, and that's kind of helped me, and I went to, uh, from there, I went to USC Film School, and... Uh, from SC Film School, I interned for three kind of Hollywood titans at the time. It was Linda Oakes at Sony Pictures or Columbia, and she did uh, uh, Prince of Tides and uh, The Fisher King. Oh. And then I interned for Rennie Harlan. At that time, he was finishing Cliffhanger and uh, Midnight Sun Pictures, and he uh, was on Cutthroat Island with Gina Davis, his wife. And then I interned for John McTiernan um, and his, his wife, Donna Dubrow. And at that time, he was working on Last Action Hero, which, you know, I worked with two amazing directors, but I know their two movies weren't really well received, so I don't know if I was bad luck. But, uh, <laughs> um, and I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot in that. You know, um, man, taking the scripts uh, with Rennie Harlan uh, to the downstairs to the basement with this little red wagon and putting them into the fire and burning them and just seeing all these people's dreams and work, you know, come up in flames. That really uh, kind of took a toll on me at times, you know. Oh, um, yeah. I learned a lot about the uh, industry, uh, writing specifically. Um, and that was the time when, you know, they had scripts. They'd send a script out on a Friday, big spec script. And on Monday, they're hoping that, you know, studios are going to buy. The time was Shane Black and Joe Esterhaz, you know, with uh, Basic Instinct and things like that. Um, it was a magical time, you know. When I was working with Rennie Harlan downstairs, it was uh, the kids. And that was Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin. And they were just finishing Stargate. Okay. And they were going to be working on Independence Day. So I interned there and then um, finished SC. And I, I wrote my first script called The Method. And I went and I big borrowed and stole. Um, got a Panavision camera from Panavision. And actually Disney helped us with post-production. And I uh, got Sean Patrick Flannery and Robert Forster and uh, Natasha Gregson-Wagner and, and Tyron Turner on it. And uh, made that movie on 35 millimeter and shot it at SC, most of it, got into uh, Slamdance. And at that time, Sundance was like the gold standard, you know? It was yeah. Sundance and Miramax and Quentin Tarantino. And uh, we got into Slamdance, and it was, I think, Slamdance's second year. And um, it was just amazing going there and screening it and meeting every all the people from Peter Green and Julianne Moore, and just, it's really a wonderful thing. and. We had the screening, and it went well. We're putting our homemade posters around town and um, making, uh, you know, cards with the with the poster, and it's, it was uh, it was pretty cool. And uh, we had a screening, and everybody was loving it, thinking maybe we were gonna, you know, win. And uh, in comes Steven Soderbergh with Day Trippers and Greg Matola and Liv Schreiber and Parker Posey, and he, I guess, he was upset that Sundance didn't take Day Trippers. And so he came in, and of course, I was like, well, we're cooked. Uh, but <laughs> it was fun. 
it was fun nonetheless. And uh, it was a great movie. And um, I'm, so I'm, I did that, and then I made another movie called Downward Angel, and uh, we did that with, with Matt Schultz, um, who started, um, he was in Fast and Furious, the mm-hmm. first one, and actually cut a reel for Matt to, to show uh, Rob Cohen and Universal, and he got on that movie. And Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad, you know, and uh, it was a little action movie we did, but at that time, Blockbuster was the go-to. And uh, so we turned around and sold it to Blockbuster. They were picking up movies. And um, it was kind of cool. And um, Hollywood Reporter, they had uh, the head of Blockbuster, and they were talking about the killer bees. And on the side, it was uh, Contaminated Man poster with William Hurt framed. And then on the other side, it was my, my movie, Downward Angel. And that was pretty cool. And uh, so they bought that. And from then I went on and made other films, uh, uh, Dark Heart and uh, The Drop and uh, with Sean Young and... And then, uh, the, you know, uh, the third uh, third nail, and uh, now we're at Willie's. So I've had a, I've seen a lot, a lot of changes, you know, through, throughout these years, throughout these decades. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I mean, it's really interesting, especially for, you know, since I'm kind of a big, I guess, industry history buff and learning really how much where, you know, in the 90s you had this huge boom of... Well, I guess the end of the 80s and then the 90s, this boom of the kind of the independent film. And then you also had all the straight to video, everything and yep. then kind of how that shifted. And I know we'll probably get into it more into kind of the business or the marketplace aspect that it is today with streaming and yeah, I mean, it, it was a match at the time. I mean, yeah. I remember going to see like train spotting Quentin Tarantino was in front of me, you know, in the theater and like just the hustle and bustle of LA and the movies are made on the studios. Right. And then the independent world. And that was the time too. You could go to like AFM and have a poster and get finance. You have Steven Seagal or something on a poster yeah. and you're right. You, you get your money. No. That was before people would do that and take the money and go buy a house in Hawaii. You know what I mean? So it was like that, that just stopped that, you know, um, it, it's kind of sad because, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is, but people sometimes, uh, abuse the system and then it hurts all of us right so um that's you know um and that was also you know i know afm still goes on but those are times like i said you go to afm and you got the big posters the magazines and mm-hmm. all these movies coming out and it was crazy you know but i think also then foreign started making foreign countries started making their own movies right yeah and they started doing their own things and they kind of you know changed that as well and then and now and now you think about it like america even the movies that are made in America, they opened foreign before America. I remember Avengers were opening in Seoul, Korea, you know, before it opened here. It's crazy, you know? Um, so yeah, a lot of changes in the industry. Definitely. We can talk about, talk about that if you want. Of course. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I know before we get any further that you did have, uh, and we talked about a little bit before recording, you did have a scare right before kind of Willie's came out with, um, coronavirus, which you know, of course, is a very major thing right now. And if you would kind of want to talk about that and you know, deal with that, and I know you were saying you were luckily able to get out of the hospital right right before your son's birthday, and yeah, it was crazy. You know, uh, I uh, it came on me pretty quick, and um, I it was. Uh, around right after my birthday actually and I uh went to the ER couldn't breathe I was like 82% oxygen mm-hmm. 
and uh, my wife took me to the uh, ER, and I had COVID pneumonia. It's like uh, blood clots in my heart. I've never been sick, you know. I mean, I've never been sick in terms of the hospital, you know, and never broke a bone, you know. I played mm-hmm. sports and all that stuff, but um, this was a whole new level. And uh, I just turned 50, actually, so it was really something else. And, uh, yeah, going in there and uh, being vulnerable and not knowing every day waiting and hoping good news and it never comes and kind of knowing it's not going to come because you don't feel good right in your heart you know i don't feel good um and um so yeah good news is not coming and um going through that and uh and then you know i was there thursday friday saturday and then sunday the doctor says he's taking me to the icu and that was when everything was like going through CAT scans and x-rays and my wife crying on the phone, FaceTime, my kids, I have four kids, and trying to be the strong dad and uh, knowing that that's not working on the phone because they can see right through it because my lungs, I can't really breathe, so I can hardly talk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would take care of my mom, who's 90, and, you know, I didn't want her, really her to be upset and, you know, weaken her and all these things go through your head and there were times where I didn't think I was going to make it and um, it was very difficult and one thing I was told you know was listen to the doctors and nurses and they were just amazing people they're heroes you know um, every one of them and uh, I started to prone and do what they told me to and it hurt it hurt like I've never had hurt before but uh, I did it I knew that was the only way to get out and um, I pushed myself Sooner or later, I started getting I started getting better, and then that good news came right after the Super Bowl when the doc told me I won the Super Bowl, <laughs> and I was down to a step down unit, and I was going to go home and I was a survivor. It was uh, it's a big wake up call, you know. I, I was I was uh, diagnosed with diabetes after I shot Willie's, and uh, I was just starting trying to get a grapple on it. I was probably in kind of a defiant phase on it too like I knew I had it but I was going to try to just you know do my regular thing and for everybody that listens man go get checked out go to the doctor you know it's not it's not a you know some you know the old the old school I remember my grandma you know it's like she was kind of ashamed to go to the doctor she thought, thought she was great like it was kind of like you were weak if you went you're not weak you're strong go to the doctor get checked out um and take care of yourself and uh, I didn't, and uh, and so that's what happened. So I think the diabetes coupled with the COVID just really was a cocktail for me to go down big time. And uh, so right now, you know, I lost like almost fifty pounds, oh. and uh, and I I was thin growing up, man. So but I got the daddy weight going with the, <laughs> with the four kids and sugar, and uh, but I I'm I'm feel good, you know, and uh, I'm working on my diet now. I've seen a dietitian, and I'm just lucky to be alive and talking to you, Craig. Um, yeah. I went to went to the Frida Drive-In yesterday and saw Willie's on the big screen and met all those great fans. It's just and it was great, you know. Coming out, I got to my son's 16th birthday, and the next day Willie's opened. Reading all the reviews and the, the critics and the the fans and the fans is what I love. And seeing how this movie just made them laugh and have fun and check out for 90 minutes of their life, you know, and, uh, it's just been such a blessing and, uh, such joy, you know, and, um, and I have to tell you too, you know, getting through the hospital, I wouldn't have got it without family and friends. Yeah. You know, I was texting 
friends from elementary school just saying like a little thing that I remember them, you know, and I just told them I love them, you know, and like I said in that article I wrote, that's my, that was my punch pop. And, um, it just really got me through. So, you know, people listening, go get checked out, go to the doctor, take care of yourself. Don't be afraid to tell that, that person that's special to you that you love them. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't know how long we have on this planet, especially with what's happened now with, with you know, with COVID and what we've been doing through a year. You just never know, right, Craig, what's going to yeah. come down the pike. So, so that's it, you know, but I'm here talking to you and we're celebrating Willie's and it's, it's great. Yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're doing better and get all that checked out. And I, I agree with you and add on to that. I mean, while my mom is a, a nurse and fortunately she's kind of kind of works more in the back now and doesn't have to be on the front lines as much. Yeah, I know my, you know, having Midwestern grandparents of German descent, it, it was the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> of like they just wouldn't yeah. go to the doctor or anything. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. And, you know, I wrote that article. I, I didn't want to detract from Willie's. I didn't want to take the spotlight off because Willie's is such a fun movie and just, you know, you know, leave your brain at the door, just, just sit back and enjoy a, a ride. But, you know, friends were telling me, no, you, you, you should do this, you know, and inspire people. And I was thinking, you know, if I write this article and I can inspire one person maybe to wear a mask and do the six feet apart that maybe didn't believe in this, right? Yeah. And it's worth it, you know? And uh, so that's kind of why I wrote the article, cool. just to say that this is real. You know, and we need to take this very seriously. And I've seen it with my own eyes. The doctors and nurses wish that the the, the people that uh, don't believe would just would they they could have them come in for a day. But unfortunately, you can't have anyone. Yeah. Once you have COVID, it's a lockdown. So I I couldn't even see my 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 mother. I couldn't see my my wife, my kids. And you're just staring at this wall because you have to groan. Yeah. And I'm looking at this wall and thinking, is this the last thing I'm going to see in my life? This white paint chipped wall. <laughs> this is the last vision I'm going to have. Or is it the last vision I'm going to flip around and look at the fluorescent light that's just sapping my energy from above, like Joe versus the volcano. Yeah. <laughs> that fluorescent light that's just, you know, like, is this it? You know? Um, so it really puts things in perspective. Yeah. And I think. What's in, I guess kind of going to Willie's now. I think what's interesting. I know, you know, as part of our podcast, we'll also do reviews on screeners or things like that for other outlets. And what was so refreshing about Willie's was there's kind of been horror does this shift back and forth where lately everybody's making these very it seems like brooding, atmospheric and just like dark horror films where this year, yeah, yeah. This, yeah. This year specifically, I felt like the ones that have really stood out to me are like Willie's and the ones that have kind of had like either a tongue-in-cheek element or had that comedy to it or something because it's just yeah. like a, a relief. A relief. That was exactly the word I was thinking. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think, you know, we need that. And, uh, you know, I kind of modeled Willie's after the movies of the 80s that I grew up with. You mm -hmm. know, I loved Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 and Return of the Living Dead and these movies you know they were just fun adventures escapism right so i wanted willie's not that it takes place in the 80s but it has the heartbeat it has the blood pumping through it of 80s because that's what i 
that's when I really started loving movies. Raiders was the first movie where I saw what a director did. You know, Star Wars, of course. And I, I was born, I was a kid in the seventies. You know, grew uh, born in the seventies. When I saw Star Wars, it was like handed down by God. Like I yeah. just thought that's like God. You know, God created light, then He created Star Wars. <laughs> you know, but then when I saw Raiders, I was like, wow, this is what a director does. And then I saw Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, and I was like, wow, this is what you can do with a camera. Yeah. And that really kind of got me thinking, and uh, just on my on my journey of trying of making movies. And I I remember, you know, uh, there was a video store that opened near me in, in Denver, and uh, my mom wanted me to go get uh, some milk and eggs and ride my bike down. And so I rode my bike down to the store to get milk and eggs. But I saw this video store, and I was just enamored by it. And I went in, and I got Nightmare on Elm Street and Evil Dead, you know, and uh, I spent the money on it. And I went back to her, and I was like, well. Um, you know, uh, the store ran out of uh, milk and eggs, but hey, I, I got I got Nightmare on Elm Street and Evil Dead, and my sister was like, "He's an addict. You have to do something about this." So I was grounded for a week, and uh, and that put off a week of seeing Evil Dead and Nightmare, which I wanted to even see more of that at that point, right? Yeah. And uh, but I definitely learned that stores usually don't run out of uh, you know eggs, milk yeah. and eggs, uh, unless it's the coronavirus, right? Unless it's COVID. Then, yeah. Then, you know, maybe that would be an excuse. So, uh, so yeah, I learned a lesson. But, no, I was a fan. I'd have slumber parties, and we'd bring Creep Show and watching all, you know, Terminator and just watching all the fun, you know, rated R movies. <laughs> yeah. uh, my sister took me to see Conan okay. in the drive-in. It was awesome. You know, I just felt such a cool kid going to school talking about Conan so yeah. I was a movie fan since I was young you know and just realized you know wanted to make them always did you know so it's pretty exciting to work with someone like Nick Cage yeah. you know I mean Academy Award winner and uh, great partner on, on a to put a movie together and just a fantastic human being I, I really believe in the, the chi of people I know maybe some people think that's crazy but I believe in energy yeah. and Nick has great energy He's a good, good man. And so it was just it was just great to work with him. We didn't have one creative disagreement on Willie's. We saw it eye to eye. He worked his tail off. It was just, we had a ball, man. You know, yeah. it was hard work. But then the cast and crew, you know, had, had so much fun from beginning to end. And I kind of feel like the movie shows that. You know, yeah, like when you does. watch it after the time, you can feel we're, we're having a good time making it, you know. Um that's important to me. I like happy sets. I like good, I like crews. I like crews like a family, you know, and that to me is when you get the best work. I know other people, other directors or other actors, they like turmoil. They like, you know, um, chaos. Yeah. You know, they thrive on chaos. You know, there's a lot of people that do that and God bless them, but I'm just not one of them. I like positivity. I, I just, I, that's, I've always been that way. And um, I like people getting along and laughing and just that's me so that was us on willies yeah you know and uh, just a great crew couldn't have made that movie without them no, and that's uh something that's interesting too is that kind of that element that it becomes very tangible when you know there is a crew that is happy being there and same with you know i've i've talked about in some of recent nick cage movies that i've discussed or even on this podcast i know others have as well but He's one of those actors where he's a he's a huge star, Academy Award winner, all this stuff. But that you know, there's that back and forth of you have people saying, "Oh, well, 
there's like that over a top over the topness or whatever it may be but what i appreciate so much about cage is that like no matter what the movie is no matter he always commits 100% where there's so many actors of his caliber that do a low budget movie or they do whatever and it seems like you know they're just they just yeah, they're collecting a paycheck or whatever yeah. it may be. Collecting a paycheck, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Every movie, he's 110%. And, because uh, you know why? He's a film lover. He's a film buff. I mean, every time he'd show up, he had a Clockwork Orange shirt on, you know, when he was working out with the uh, action, with the, with the stunts, or a Bruce Lee shirt, or a Godzilla shirt, you know what I mean? Like, he's a yeah. film fan. So, you know, and uh, I, it was why I read an article, he didn't tell me this, but I did read an article about him. He said that he likes to, he knows he can't control the movies when they're done. He just does his performance. But he said if he can do three good scenes in a movie, then he knows that he did, a, you know, his job. And I was thinking, you know, after I read that, I was like, well, for me, I mean, Willie's, in my opinion, he did every scene great. Yeah. You know, and he did, and he doesn't talk, you know, and that's a very hard thing without dialogue. And I think a lot of actors shy away from that and be nervous about it. That's why we made the offer to Nick. Um, there was one other actor that I wanted on this movie. It was Nick, and the producers felt the same way. And uh, we just made the offer and went for it, you know. And he liked, he loved it. He got it, you know. And I knew he would. I just knew it in my heart, you know. And uh, I can't say enough great things about Nick Cage. Yeah. So I guess that was one of the questions that one of my co-hosts had that was big on it was was the role always meant to be kind of without any dialogue for Nick Cage or was it kind of, was there any back and forth of he should have a line at the end or anything like that? Or was it strictly, you know, when, when I, when I read the script originally, it was no dialogue. Gio wrote a great, you know, fun script, but at the end he had a line when he went to fight Willie, it was like, come at me, bro. Okay. And I was like, you know, I'm just not a big fan of that line. And I was thinking, well, if he has a line, it's got to be like I live an, an iconic because he, he, you don't he doesn't say anything this whole movie and then he's going to say something and that's going to be really really important. And so I was thinking, well, you know, can it be something like an Evil Dead, Groovy, or Yoshibich? Let's go, you know, like yeah. something fun like that. As the as the movie evolved, should it be you know it's birthday time, you know, and and we got I got together with Nick and he's like, you know, the janitor doesn't speak unless he feels he needs to and he doesn't need to because he looked at the his his character point of view of the janitor was he looks at those creatures as trash they're trash to him yeah he doesn't respect them right yeah like that was his that was what he was going for so and he was channeling like charles bronson from once upon a time in the west yeah. one of his favorite <laughs> movies and so we decided like no lines but what's kind of cool is I kind of do that little, it's a slow motion, but I do that little push in when he comes out of the kitchen and I'm getting the audience gearing up for, oh, oh here's the line. Cause I do right up to him and he doesn't yeah. say anything. And I just thought that was fun, you know, because at the time we think he's going to say something and he doesn't. So I really liked, not only loved what he did, but yeah. I liked the whole idea that we're having the janitor and not say anything. I thought it was a ballsy move, you know, and, um, and it's hard, man. You know, it's hard to do that. And I knew this movie had to be visually entertaining. And so I, I did a 70-page shot list before the before we, we oh, shot the movie. And I detailed every scene, every shot with every scene. 
so I knew going in, I had a game plan. I knew this movie wasn't a movie where we're going to, you know, we're going to just find ourselves with a camera and all that. It's like, no, this is a very precise film, stylish film. So um, going in it, I kind of knew like this is how I'm going to do the generous, where I'm going to shoot, when he does the punch pop. And then, and so that really helped. And I got about 85 to 90% of it, I feel, you know, when I, when yeah. I finished the movie. So I'm a big fan of preparation. That actually, I don't think we've had somebody on yet who's really talked about um, shot lists and stuff like that. And I know, you know, most people know what they are that are film fans or anything like that anymore. Um, but there is kind of these, like the two party where a lot of people do shot lists, but you know, there's like the two parties of thought where there's the ones that are almost very prepped, much like that, or you know, the ones that just kind of. It feels like they just go in and, you know, they kind of have a general yeah, idea, kind of, but... You know. Yeah, they have an idea, but they, they kind of find the movie, right, while yeah. they make it, you know? Um, I had 20 days to make this movie. Yes. And there were too many decisions to make. Like, for example, just uh, the the scene, like, you know, the, I called it the oven cam or the, the fridge cam when he's going in and putting the punch pop in the fridge or cleaning the oven. Like, you have to saw the back of a fridge yeah. off. You have to saw the back of an oven off to get the camera. So you can't go in and go, hey, let's do an oven cam shot or something, because guess what? It's going to take them hours to do that, and you're, you're just burning money and time, right? Yeah. So prep-wise, I knew I had to do that. So that's what, same thing with, like, the fights. Like, we went over the fights. You can't just show up the day with stunts and go, hey, let's just do this and this and this. You'll be hours, you know? So always thinking, always prepping. I talked to Nick constantly every night, almost, about things. So he knew we were all on the same page, you know, because that's what I wanted. I wanted us all come to set, and it's like, okay, let's rock and roll, you know, and that was the plan. Um, so, yeah, this movie wasn't that. I, I just couldn't get away with that. And that's really not me, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. I like prep. You know, when I read the yeah. script, I just saw it visually, you know, and so I worked with my DP, Dave Newbert, who did an amazing job, and we sat down, and I just was telling him what I wanted to do and stuff, so we worked on the shot list, and we did it even with the lens and the can. like, we had it all planned out, you know, because, again, I didn't have a techno crane and all the fun tools that you would have on a big studio movie, but I was in the mindset, like, hey, we're just going to shoot this movie by any means necessary, give me a shopping cart, we'll make it a dolly, like, it was my attitude, grunge guerrilla filmmaking grindhouse yeah and uh the two things i really thought when i was making willies was punk rock and a rave at two in the morning <laughs> like that was like my vibe on this movie you know i wanted this movie you know it's funny i've never been done drugs i'm such a square but i wanted this movie to be like an lsd acid trip like it's a you know i read a really cool review where someone said this movie looks like it was just dunked in, L in acid and LSD. And I was like, that's an awesome review, you know? Yeah. I actually heard people, like, dropping shrooms on this film and watching it and stuff. And it's <laughs> like, that's cool. You know? Yeah. I don't do it. I've never done it. But that's cool, you know? So, I, I, you know, I just wanted to make a movie, like a Midnight Madness movie for college kids. And, man, it was great seeing my kids and, you know, their, their teens in high school. And they're having a 30-people watch party. You know, and that just made me so filled my heart of joy, you know. And I know we can't be there watching the movie together. The whole idea, like I said, was Midnight Madness, Toronto Midnight Madness, you know, maybe coming out of Halloween and 
it was just, you know, one of those movies I felt like, again, like Evil Dead, you drive an hour and a half with your friends to go see in some podunk town in a theater, you know, and uh, that was kind of the way I was wanting to do Willie's, you know, but it's actually worked out really well for it to come out and people see it and they have watch parties now and, yeah. um, it's, you know, it's a different time. Like we just talked about with COVID, right. You know, mm-hmm. and the streaming, you know, and you have to embrace it. You have to embrace change, um, evolve or die. And it's funny cause you know, I would show up to the Willie meetings, you know, everybody would have their laptops, all the crew, Molly coffee, production designer and Dave Newber. And I had my bag, and I just pull out my paperwork, you know, and uh, it was like I'm an analog guy in a digital world, you know, and yeah. uh, it was just it was. It, it, but, you know, with streaming and what's going on, like this is the new this is the brave new world, man. This is where we're at. So uh, evolve or die, you know, so um, I think Willie's has done pretty well, you know, coming out and people seeing it. And like I say, watch parties and sharing it with on Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. And it's really cool talking to you because. You know, growing up, I was all about Siskel and Ebert. You know, it was like when you were, when you, you know, working also, you know, when I was interning, it's like Hot Reporter, Variety, Time, maybe Time Magazine, and LA Times and New York Times. That was it. Yeah. And Siskel and Ebert. You know, it's like those reviews were it. And if you didn't get good reviews, it was like someone died in the office. Okay. (laughs) But now, power to the people, right? Because you and everybody else are like, you know, critics and fans and, and, and bloggers and, and podcasts. And there's just so much out there now. And it's really cool when the audience really reacts to the movie and that's what you intended. And so I read some of these reviews and of course we get bad reviews and some people can't stand the movie. But I knew it was a tightrope movie. I knew it was a movie that, you know, it, it could be a really bad movie. You know, I mean, it's funny. Some people think that, you know, but honestly, like dealing with the weasel and six, you know, uh, uh, animatronic weasel and all his friends, like it, it could have been, you know, and, and that's what you brought up about horror and how a lot of people are doing these really like hardcore, edgy p- pictures. I knew I couldn't get away with that. I couldn't do a Rob Zombie treatment to this because it's just so ri- ridiculous, you yeah. know? And so I wanted to have fun, you know? And so it was funny, like setting up shots and, we touch the camera. We're like, is this too much? And I always think it's Nick Cage versus an am- a, a seven foot <laughs> animatronic weasel. Nothing is too much. Yeah. Right. And so we, I would just go for it, you know? And, uh, and it just felt really liberating artistically too. Like we're just going to go for it. I feel like the movie's very self-aware yeah. of it. You know, it's like, it knows what it is. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you know, it's so funny, like, you get some of these reviews, they take it so seriously, and it's like, man, just lighten up, Francis, you know? It's like, yeah. come on. It's just a fun movie, you know? And, and just relax and enjoy it. I mean, Nick Cage beating the crap out of animatronics. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, I agree completely. I'm um, sorry I go on rants, by the way. I apologize. <laughs> no problem at all. No, I agree completely I mean, with that sentiment and yeah, everything about it. And I like that you were kind of saying the evolve or die because, I mean, that has been a consistent topic that I kind of will come to, especially now within this past year, that there are these people that are holding on so much to like this you know, the old school mentality of Hollywood that was the 80s and 90s or whatever it may be. And, you know, and then you have the streaming and you kind of have, you know, I have that same sentiment of that, you know, it's always going to keep moving forward, even if, you know, theaters open in the same way. It's just, you know, you have to be able to 
yeah as you said evolve or die and i yeah i think that's a great kind of sentiment to all of it yeah i think too like having my kids help me you know because you know i i back in the day i'd be like are you kidding me you know watch lawrence of arabia on your phone like you're nuts you know like you're not that you know no no you know but now with content content is such a interesting word because content is you know you can look up a youtube video about fixing your dryer at home and then you could watch lawrence of arabia you know what i mean and it's like everything's just content you know and um i I, you know yeah lawrence of arabia still as you should see it at theater you should see it on 70 millimeter like all that stuff but i realized like even with my kids like these classic movies and stuff you know talking about these actors and you know even like marlon brando man like they don't even know who he is you know and i i had him watch apocalypse now you know and they know yeah. from that but like i need to have him watch streetcar and on the waterfront but you know i had my son watch the great escape he thought it was boring he was just you know and i'm like how can you think this is boring it's got steve mcqueen and james garner yeah. and like it's a <laughs> world war ii movie and these guys are like planning a great yeah i i, I yeah but you realize it, you know, and he's a video gamer, man. He's a gamer. And so he's more active in the gamers. And actually, I think Willie's kind of, I wanted it for the, some of the gamers, you know, like the leveling up. Like yeah. The janitors moving the different levels, you know, of, of the fights and stuff like that. And um, so, yeah, it's just a different time now. My daughter's getting me into Stranger Things, you know, and it's a cool show. It's funny because I tell her, well, I lived the 80s. Like, I'm seeing the 80s, but I lived it, you know, but it's cool. You know, it's a cool show. Um but yeah, I think that helps. And, um, I think that, uh, you know, with COVID and everything, you just, you have to, we're in a different world and God bless, you know, technology, right? That yeah. We can do this and stream and everything else. And, you know, streaming's here to stay. I don't see it going anywhere. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I, I, uh, we just got a big screen, uh, a 120 foot screen and a projector. So it's really cool. Cause like we'll watch, we watch soul. And um, I felt like we're in the theater, you know, and like the next day you, you have you remember the movie and it was like I was at the theater watching it on a big screen, you know, mm-hmm. is it a big screen is a movie theater? No, I mean, I love the old theaters like when I grew up in Denver, the Continental Theater, where it was one screen, it was 70 millimeter. I saw Return of the Jedi there, and Batman and like, you know, like amazing movies, you know, um, they don't have that now. It's all multiplex. Right. right? So we've seen the progression of how cinemas have gone and now this is the new thing streaming and it'll come out in the theater and then 17 days later or 30 days later it's going to come out you know and um i hope theaters bounce back i love movie theaters my kids want to go i mean my daughter wants to go with her friends to the theater like i don't think you know date nights and all that like i don't think you can take that away but it is a different world and uh it's just we're gonna have to evolve or die yeah you know and i want to evolve yeah. You know? No, I um well, I when I was in LA for several years living there, I um was a projectionist with the Chinese theater and so that kinda spoiled me for a long time. Oh, but even that very cool. Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah, even that they a lot of their kinda shifted to more multiplex except the the main the, the you know, the original. Did you do when you were a projectionist, did you do film at all or were you more like uh all digital? Um, I did some film. I came in. I was hired when um, Interstellar. It was like their their the IMAX oh, flagship, yeah. and so Interstellar had to be seventy millimeter on IMAX, and that's when I came in. 
but then did you have the big did you have the big platters? Yeah, I mean, yeah, with the that seventy millimeter IMAX, that thing each yeah thing was like five hundred pounds. I don't know, it was intense. Oh, bet. Yeah. Wow. I, I was a projectionist at my school, and so um, I was doing stuff for like classes, and then on Friday nights they would have screenings. Um, you know, it would be really cool, like retro screenings and stuff. Um, and I would I would uh, be the projectionist there. So oh, I know amazing. like yeah. all about the film, threading it through and rolling. I mean, all that stuff, and it's crazy. Yeah, you know? yeah, and it can kind of get unhinged so easily. <laughs> People oh, don't yeah. realize it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's your feelings? I mean, you, you love film. Or are you happy with digital? Or I, I am. I, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think for me, it's one of those things that a good story or a good movie or anything should be you know, enjoyed no matter what. You look at even a lot of the, like, Japanese cinema that came out of the early 2000s, they were using, you know, basically VHS or early digital. And even yeah. though the picture quality isn't the best, it's still, like, they, it still captures your attention. It still holds you. And I think that's kind of a, you know, what's most important is the story, is the, you know, the enjoyment or, you know, engaging an audience. For me, yeah, as I'm getting older, there was a point of me, or part of me, you know, obviously when I was doing projection work where I was probably more um, a purist at points, but no, now, yeah, especially as a, I have a two-year-old, and so now I'm just fine, oh, wow. yeah, watching it any way I can get it. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's great. I guess uh, what I wanted to kind of get into when you were talking about it with you had 20 days to kind of shoot the whole film and yeah you know basically how you know the you know the industry is going now where you either have like these under 10 million dollar films and they want to try and go lower and lower if they can or you have these films that are tentpole that are you know un- over 100 million dollars or they're getting higher mm-hmm. than that now and it's losing that middle range i was just Here's about and Willie's has done really well and I think it helps with just the concept and the fun element of it and everything. But for people listening and anybody that's interested in kind of getting their own movie like past all of the content and to really stand out, how did you was there any certain ways you had to work Willie's or like for marketing that was different than, you know, when you were doing films in the nineties or the two thousands or has that shifted any? I mean, yeah, you know, I I shot pretty much every one of my movies on film. I did the drop digital. That was when digital started coming out. Did on the Panasonic. I remember actually going to the screening of Phantom Menace, and it was the first like digital screening. It was in Burbank, and um, so yeah, seeing the evolution and everything. Uh, then I shot, you know, Willie's digital, and um, actually I asked Nick too what he preferred because you know he's old school and he he's done so much, you know, film and. He said he liked digital. He's like, I think he was telling me, I think it was Birdie. He did this, the monologue or something, and it just, the film got jacked up. Oh, really? And he's like, yeah, I really don't have to deal with that. And, you know, it happened to me, too. I did this, uh, one of my films at SC on Super 16 in a lab, screwed it up. And so uh, it was kind of cool. I was working for John McTiernan and his wife, Donna Dubrow, basically wrote me a check, and I went and reshot my film. So that was pretty cool yeah um of her to do that but um yeah you know 
I mean, digital's here to stay, right? And, you know, digital's done a lot. I mean, there's, it's pretty amazing. Um, now, I'm such a big physical media fan. Yeah. I've got two bookcases of my Blu-rays and steelbooks and stuff. And what's sad is, like, the kids will want to watch a movie or something like that. And I'll just, like, stream it. Boom. You know? And it's like, gosh, why am I even holding on to this stuff? So, I, I mean, I do love physical media, though. I do love it. And um, I want to support it. But um, I don't know. You know, uh, it's going to be interesting. You know, technology's moving, moving so fast. And the cameras are just getting incredible, right? I mean, just mm-hmm. amazing. You know, yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's going leaps and bounds from where it started, right? And uh, I still love, you know, Scorsese and Nolan and Tarantino and Spielberg. Like, them wanting to shoot film, I think it's awesome. Yeah. You know, but for someone like me in the indie world, I'm not going to be able to convince the investors, producers that to do film. Like, I'm just not there. You know, it's funny, I read that... Um, the Sound of Metal, which was a great movie. I love that movie and uh, did such a great job. And I read an interview with the director and he shot it on film. And they asked him, well, why did you shoot it? Because I wanted to. I was like, wow, man, you know, like that's really cool that he got them to, to say yeah to do it. Because in this day and age, man, going up to the producers from, you know, investors and saying, yeah, I want to do this on film, like they'll look at you like you're nuts. Yeah. You know, um, can't think of the director the tangerine was shot on an iphone oh wow yeah there was a couple yeah now we're getting it there right we're getting to that point so so we're living interesting times you know definitely definitely and i think like i was saying i think willie's especially it is one of those ones that stands out i agree with you that i still will go out and purchase physical media just because i have a love for it completely but yeah yep, i do too it's just like vinyl and everything else yeah just, you know i love it you know but but my kids they don't you know my son the game gamer like he just downloads his games he doesn't like buying discs for me i would like this because it's like you're spending money you have something that you bought that you can have and hold yeah um but to him that you know, and my daughter, she watches movies and shows on iPhones, like, no big deal to her. So it's like, you're not going to change these kids, you know, and they're the new generation, right? Yeah. So we can sit there and fight all we want and talk about film and you should be watching movies here and you can't, you know, and you're going to lose. And the new generation's here, you know, and so evolve or die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, it's been a, a kind of great having you and chatting about and learning about this, but, you know, kind of part of the podcast as well is we like to really look at obscure 
kind of independent works and in the that are considered genre but we you know normally it's horror related for the most part mm-hmm. is there any movie that is kind of underseen that you like really champion and you really think more people should get eyes on it's kind of just our bonus question for everybody yeah 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 i mean i don't know if this is underseen but i loved it and actually there's two movies and they really inspired me on willie's one was the movie Revenge okay. um, that came out a couple years ago. Um, man, that movie was incredible. It's French, mm-hmm. I believe. I think it's uh, on Shutter. Yeah. yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. Um, another one was Let the Corpses Tan. Okay. And uh, that was also very inspiration for Willie's, you know. Um, so those two come to mind. Okay. Oh, those sound great. And so is there... For people that are interested, is there anything post Willie's coming up that you're working on? And then how can people find you through any sort of website, social media, anything at all? Yeah, so I'm 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 working on a really cool uh, Halloween project, like a throwback to Amblin years. You know, okay. um, I'm working on that. I'm working on a really cool action horror uh, script, kind of a genre. You know, I want to make movies like Willie's, fun yeah. movies genre movies uh, people that just really you know enjoy it and everything so that's kind of what i've been working on um and then uh i may have another one here looking pretty good so we'll see there uh, another kind of action war so that's kind of i'm keeping it in that genre and then i'm uh on instagram i'm kevin lewis official okay and um and then twitter it's like kevin lewis movie maker um m-o-v-i-m-a-k-r but um yeah, and, and on Twitter, you know, I, I put a lot of the articles that I've done or talked about, you know, and you can read more about Willie's and things like that, so, yeah. No, oh, amazing, and it's been, yeah, such a pleasure having you, and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Craig. I had a really good time. Thank you. Bloodhound Picks Podcast is part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network, produced by Josh Lee, Craig Drum, and Kyle Hintz. Music by Raymond C. Editing by Kyle Hintz.